0: We acknowledge and pay respect to the land and the traditional families of the Yugambeh region of southeast Queensland and to their elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to remind listeners that we are recording on stolen land and sovereignty
1: has never been ceded. Welcome to Revolting Women. This is an independent podcast brought to you by four independent women. It's time to rethink, rebel, And revolt. So, what do you think about the patriarchy? Do you you want to destroy it? How's it going? (laughs) Welcome Welcome back. Episode eight Revolting Women. We're really excited
2: to come onto the podcast today and talk to you all about feminism.
1: Yeah, it's more specifically girl boss feminism. But before we get started today, we are gonna give a quick shout out to Homebrewed Feminism, which featured us on their first on their first episode of their new season of their podcast, where they quoted some bits from our male fragility episode, which you can go back and listen to whenever you want. And definitely recommend that episode by Homebrewed Feminism. We'll add it to our show notes so you can go over and have a listen to them as well.
2: Um, We've just at, finished up NAIDOC week, which is a week where our Indigenous culture is celebrated all over Australia. But we want to just talk about and recognise the fact that NAIDOC week is not just a week of
0: celebration. The whole year should be celebrating First yeah. Nations culture and... and doing our best to learn as much as we can and then also educating ourselves on the privilege we have not earned to be living here in Australia. Mm-hmm. For sure.
3: And always remembering that this land was stolen and these, mm-hmm. in, these indigenous communities have been living here for 60,000 years prior to colonization. And when we have these weeks, um, it's just not enough representation for the indigenous mm-hmm. community and it should be year round. Yeah. And there's lots of podcasts that I think some has listed. She'll um, list them in a second that you should listen to to learn more about the indigenous culture within
2: Australia. Yeah, so uh, one that I would really recommend you to listen to is called Black Magic Woman. It's a really educational, interesting podcast. Another one called The History Listen. Another one, Speaking Out by ABC Radio. And then also the Triple J Hack has had a few um, really good segments this last week due to NADOC Week, and it's a lot of education and things that you probably don't know about, and it's the voices of Indigenous people, which is what we need to be amplifying
0: yeah for sure and I I think I've said this before in a previous episode but there has been a previous uh, an attempt by governments to in the past to not tell the truth about Australians history and what actually goes down and that's how all these stereotypes emerge about First Nations people and so it's really important that we do the work ourselves to educate ourselves as much as possible but not only on their struggles but also through of their survival and also their rich, diverse cultures, because there's so many, over 250 different types of cultures around Mm. Australia Mm. and to really, really appreciate it because it's so rich and amazing and so interesting too. So... Making sure you go listen to one of those.
3: Definitely, I listened to the um, Black Woman Magic one um, that some recommended um, with Bruce Pascoe, and it's really good. At the moment, we're talking a lot about climate, and they go over a lot of the um, the fact that Indigenous cultures had a lot of different farming methods. Um, they were established farmers, but they did it in a different way, and how that can help the climate. And so, if you're into climate, if you're in, well, if you're into Looking at climate change <laughs> or you believe in climate change and want, want to do better so that we have a good environment, I think looking into those Indigenous ways mm. is really helpful as well.
0: For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so
2: another thing that's actually happened in the media that has sparked a lot of controversy is women in the Olympics and most specifically an athlete named Kasta Semenya was disqualified for having naturally high testosterone. The IAAF suspected cheating but she is a cisgender woman. And research has actually shown that if you do take a group of male elite athletes or with varying testosterone levels, the one with higher levels of hormones don't necessarily perform better than those males with lower levels. Mm. Um And it's just kind of intersected with a lot of conversation on racism um, because these women are black. Another mm. one that has recently happened is shikari richardson who was suspended for testing positive for thc so marijuana it happened just after a mum passed away and it's not really a drug that enhances performance yeah so that's another thing that's popped up and And with this conversation as well um i don't know if many of you know this Competitor Olympian Michael Phelps, his <laughs> his body produces an exceptionally low amount of fatigue-inducing lactic acid when compared to those of his competitors. So, if we're going to talk about different natural things, abilities yeah. or unfair <laughs>
3: advantages in um, swimming or
2: racing or anything yeah. like that, so why was mm. this white guy like? celebrated it's very
1: clear that and also this also coincides with the um swimming caps being not allowed that Mm -hmm. are actually Mm. designed to um like contain or to protect um black hair or like thick they describe it as like thick curly hair but it's Mm. more subscribing to like black women's hair and like a combination of all of these kind of really like different um, really different discriminatory, really things, different discriminatory things happening but they're all the common thread is it's happening to black women who are participating mm-hmm. in the olympics and in sport as well and so i think it's good to like create that link and to understand that those these are all linked by race es- mm. especially yeah. it's so been
3: happening to black women for a long time not being um, included within this womanhood trope or like mm. within the woman standard that they're not women has always been been trying to be proven and just finding these little tiny things like high testosterone levels when it doesn't give her an unfair advantage is just it comes out as straight racist and And
0: it is you will find so many peer-reviewed journal articles debunking that and it's really frustrating for to have to uh, to have to teach people about this, but it's even more frustrating for this rhetoric to still be going around. For actual trans women to have to debunk this when it is so easy to Google it, and I find it's mainly white cis men who uh, will want to debunk it and be like, it's unfair. When have you cared about women's rights? Sports
1: is made up of unfair advantages. Like it all is. Like it's already an unlevel playing field from the beginning. So Mm -hmm. why are we then now going into all these specific testosterone levels, which um, that athlete had no idea about that until she was tested for the Olympics, like a part of the routine check. She had no idea she had Mm -hmm. that testosterone level. So it's not affected her life in any way. And it's like, so what a cis woman is not allowed into the Olympics. Like that just sits, Set so much more precedent than for trans women who want to come into the Olympics and have their testosterone or estrogen levels in question, and it's just mm. not even fucking relevant. Like, it's not relevant. Definitely.
0: The whole the whole structure of sport just needs to be changed and reevaluated because it's obviously based off old standards of even just splitting it up into genders and stuff. Like, maybe there just needs to be a whole complete reevaluation of sport in general because, like you said, it's not just you being a woman or a man yeah. um, by assigned at birth that makes <coughs> you better at sport. It's there's so many many different yeah things. if we're going to talk about unfairness let's talk about the rich
2: white kids that have their parents pay for mm. them to get into universities and have scholarships and able to move up in the ranks like yeah. that's what's oppressive and that's yeah. unfair it's another mm. unfair advantage yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day,
1: all of it is just eurocentric like ideals any way mm-hmm. of gender and of race and mm-hmm. physical ability like it's all eurocentric white standards that have been created like yeah. to fit oh that narrative true. and to fit that type of person so like what someone who has a different body isn't fitting to that eurocentric version so no they cannot participate so true
3: um silly her on here's the thing though she goes into depth about this as well so it's definitely worth um listening to her podcast about this issue and we'll link it as well
1: it's awesome i recommend it yeah so this episode as you may have seen in the title is called why mainstream feminism is a capitalist lie and you might be seeing that and thinking what the fuck are these girls talking about (laughs) they are a feminist podcast. We are a feminist (laughs) podcast, obviously. And they're mainstream. And it might be might appear that we are mainstream feminists, but we are going to be going a bit more into depth into feminism and the intersectionalities of it and some more tropes. More specifically, actually the girl boss feminist trope. And we actually polled our Instagram audience a couple of weeks ago and we were asking if certain feminism or feminist I guess ideologies and identities um, if they empowered sla- or like uplifted women, or if they were oppressive, and when we polled our audience about girlboss feminism, I think it was about eighty percent or seventy to eighty percent of our audience who voted in the polls said that girlboss feminism uplifts mm. people, and we were—I was personally a bit shocked by it. I mm-hmm. was a bit too. I Jazzy was like, wasn't what shocked the? though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't really either. I yeah, because I
3: cause like it, I'm, I follow a lot of discourse around that true. because I do try to debunk it a lot. That's like I'm very anti-girl boss feminism, yeah, so I true. understand that a lot of feminists find themselves in that mm-hmm. trope for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it is um very appealing, and we know why mm-hmm. it has this kind of um facade, I guess, of being pro women and being pro feminism and being a good thing for women but when we go a little bit deeper i think girl boss feminism has been a bit more debunked within feminist discourse lately but i think when we go a bit deeper into it it um well, you'll find out that that's not true. <laughs>
0: yeah, and obviously there's no right and wrong answers when we do these polls because we understand mm-hmm. that people just haven't been offered that alternative discourse mm-hmm. or understanding to why it is problematic. But yeah, and so later in the episode then we will start talking about all the different types of feminisms and so after sort of more of those popularised ones like girlboss feminism, we'll start talking more about liberal feminism and white feminism um, and things like that (laughs) and just yeah other other types of feminisms and then by the end of the episode we will be giving some uh, sort of like an ideal look of what feminism actually is Mm -hmm. and what it should look like Mm -hmm. and what it does include and what it doesn't include and hopefully by the end of that you'll have a good idea of what what to do next yeah what to do next Mm -hmm.
3: and just question your own type of feminism and what you're doing what you're actually doing Um, to help uplift all marginalised communities within feminism. Cool. Um, So firstly I just wanted to go over a little bit of um, how feminism has started to be recorded and has started to become a bit more mainstream. Um, So people started recording feminism from around 1848 um, in America when white women started demanding better rights, including the vote. Elizabeth Cady Stanton was named one of the leaders and around this time, they also joined the abolitionist movement, which was to end slavery. However, after having black women join their cause and fight hard for them, these white women ended up feeling threatened and became one of the most anti-black voters there was. The black women who stood out during this time and were fought against other real feminist people, such as Sojourner Truth, who met Frederick Douglass who were both abolitionists at the time that started speaking on equal rights. Um, Sojourner Truth is mostly famous for her Ain't I a Woman speech that pointed out the discrimination and inequality black women were facing at the time. Um, And also she was critiquing the fact that white women um, weren't speaking out on their marginalization as well at this time. We do not align our feminisms with the likes of Susan Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton, but however, with the working class women and women of color who fought so hard against the white rich men and women. Angela Davis has a very good analysis of the takeover in her book, Race, Women and Class, which we reference a lot, but the work is great. We're also gonna pop a clip in from Angela Davis's Revolution Today speech, where she criticizes mainstream feminism and the white feminism that was created, like I was mentioning above.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to learn about these perspectives because I think even for myself growing up learning about feminism, you do hear about the suffragette movements and that's such a a key sort of face to the feminism movement and to sort of learn about how racist these causes turned is so interesting and it says a lot about, I guess, these historical moments and also... It represents a lot of things that happen
3: today as well. Definitely. And you can see it a lot in today's discourse surrounding feminism, which we're going to get into more with Girlboss Feminism. Mm. But it makes sense that go- like these different definitions of feminism pop up mm. when the history started with yeah, those same things. And if you're sure. not mentioning it or questioning it or making sure that you're not aligning with that type of feminism, um, it can be easily... It can just easily come up and, and not be faced, or no one can question yeah. the feminism that they're doing because they think it is that uh, the correct political movement for women's rights. Yeah,
0: definitely. Because if you look back in history, you know, getting the um, the right to vote and all of these other things that just should be basic human rights. yeah yeah if you're a woman joining in especially a white woman joining in these uh, protests and stuff and chaining yourself to whatever back in what the 1800s you you you're, you're going to be like okay that's cool like i align my values with that i want freedom i want rights yeah. but then you don't necessarily understand that there's also this other problematic point as well and they might not even have realized at the time that they were oppressing black women at the same time Mm. but they didn't have access to social media back then and we
1: do now and so it's always important to be it's so easy to access those voices and to access these actual histories now so the excuse is like well,
3: and not to center yourself around feminism so you shouldn't Mm. just be a feminist because you want rights Mm. you should be a feminist because you want all women's Mm. all women's rights and that's what they lost a lot in um, the early days of feminism is they didn't care enough about the other women or didn't see them as their allies in fighting a bigger cause. They saw them as, um, their they saw them detrimental to their right to vote, so they didn't think they thought if they got rights, then their rights would be taken away where they didn't see who was
1: actually controlling these rights. No, i just no. said rights yeah. so many times. But. <laughs> and that's so much in feminism now Like that we're going to talk about. But even when we look at like trans exclusionary radical feminists like they still call themselves feminists Mm. and they fundamentally believe that they follow a feminist ideology but it isn't to us as feminists because we include trans women and trans people within our feminism and when there's people who are saying that and that's exactly what they do too they say that trans women are taking away quote unquote real women's rights when that's not true at all like trans rights are Feminist issues, like, yeah. and it's important to know how this will always transfuse with social movements. There will always be people within the social movement or subgroups that do oppress other people and intentionally will do so as well.
4: Definitely. And perhaps let me move on to say that um, you know the mainstream feminist movement. Just made serious, serious mistake. You know, I often point out that when, when I wrote my, um, when I wrote a book that was published in 1981 called *Women, Race, and Class*, uh, everybody started referring to me as a feminist, and my response was, "I'm not a feminist. You know, I'm a black revolutionary <laughs> because I didn't see how the two had anything to do with each other." But I realized that I was talking about a certain kind of feminism. A bourgeois feminism. uh, uh, A feminism that is still unfortunately, um, yeah, white white bourgeois feminism, which is unfortunately uh, the the most represented feminism today, and most people think of that as feminism. Uh, uh, But, but that ignores the fact that huge numbers of, 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 of organic and, 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 and academic intellectuals who are women of color have transformed the very nature of feminism. And the hallmark of feminism today is what we call intersectionality, a recognition of the and not only, not only the interrelating, um, uh, character of identities, but as I frequently say, I think intersectionality is, is most helpful when we think about the intersectionality of social justice struggles. Uh, uh, the mistake made by mainstream Feminism and its continued reliance on categorical representations of women. As soon as one assumes that that women can be categorically represented, it means that there is some clandestine racialization happening there, right? And you hear the term glass-ceiling feminism. I don't know whether you have that here. Glass-ceiling feminism? Um, This is what... uh, Hillary Clinton uh, represented. But, But glass ceiling feminism is represented, it's grounded from the very outset in hierarchies. I mean, how else does that metaphor work? Those who are already high enough to reach the ceiling are probably white, and then if they're not white, they are already affluent, because they're at the top. All they have to do is pushed through the ceiling. And as long as I have identified as a feminist, it has been clear to me that any feminism that privileges those who already have privilege is bound to be irrelevant to poor women, working class women, women of color, trans women, trans women of color.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, she's such an amazing speaker. Mm. It, I think that audio clip really uh, highlights a lot of things we're going to be talking about, and it's really nice to include these audios in. So it's not just our perspective and our voices; it's others as well.
3: Definitely, because we're not and the curators the cre- of it. We're not the cre- yeah creators of this information. We're learning this information. And
2: we should be uplifting the voices that we're learning them from. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for women like Angela Davis, we
1: wouldn't have so much of our knowledge today. She's incredible. Mm So after listening to that audio clip of Angela Davis talking at her lecture that we will link in our show notes as well for you to watch on YouTube. And also talking about kind of that history of feminism as well and like how these movements have been kind of taken over by Mainly white women, as well, who then take the power that they've been given and further use it to oppress other groups. We're going to start talking about the term girl boss, which was popularized back in 2014. So it's pretty recent as a, I guess, like identity, I suppose. Um, by Nasty Gal founder, Sophia Amoruso. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, and it was originally kind of described as this confident, take charge woman who pursues their own ambitions and cares about money. That was kind of the archetype for the girl boss. There have also been a lot of original emblematic characters of the girl boss in media, like Miranda Priestley in Devil Wears Prada. She's kind of mm. a really good example of the original girl boss. Um, Corella Deville has also been recently used because of the remake as like the kind of girl boss image that we see in TV and media and everything. And also this cutthroat woman who lacks emotional relationships and empathy and cares about business, etc. Um, this trope kind of existed a little bit more negatively when white women were still sort of oppressed within society in the early two thousand and tens, and now with the emergence of white feminism becoming so much more prominent in public discourse, we have seen girl boss feminism thrive and become more of the capitalist handmaiden for feminism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just going back to Nasty Gal for a second, when we talk about the brand, it's obviously like a clothing brand that started... It's a fast fashion. Yeah, fast it's, it's fashion, a fast yeah. fashion clothing brand. Way, but it started off, I think, she was like doing vintage yeah, clothing. Yeah. And,
0: and then it got... Sort of a bit more, yeah, she which, was is still, old which is still, which is still capitalist. As fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Taking yeah.
1: something that poor people do and making it expensive, like you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, just for sure. But um, the uh, she's actually there's a page called Good on You Eco Directory, which kind of rates brands and their impact on the planet, and impact on people. And Nasty Gal scored a two out of five for good for the planet, and a one out of five for good for the people. Um, It publishes zero or very limited information about its supplier policies and audits. It doesn't disclose any information about forced labor, gender equality, freedom of association. There is no evidence that it ensures payment of a living wage in its supply chain, and it does not disclose any policies or safeguards to protect suppliers and workers in its chain from the impacts of COVID-19. So it just goes to show that that is a business that has kind of become what it is and was founded on this idea of an empowering woman who Mm. uplifts people and then in its complete supply chain from creation of product to receiving by the consumer it is obviously oppressing and exploiting Exploiting, yeah Yeah. exploiting other people because women obviously women are more inclined to be in those textile works that happen too so it is very much contributing as well to gender pay gaps and everything like that.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because what I've taken away from this girl boss feminism thing is it's trying to fill in a white man's shoes as well, instead of uplifting and creating a whole, when we talk about like abolishing systems and structures and stuff, this is like a direct example of that is if you're a woman in power, you're not trying to be an oppressive white man you're establishing a new system that uplifts other women. And so if you become successful within a uh, corporation or a business, you should then be funding a black woman to start up her own business or paying all the women a, a, a more than minimum wage and good super and all of these things to end these things that exploit other women as well, not For just sure. being this tyrant <clears throat> boss that, um, For sure. I, that Do discriminates you and I think
2: that that can be problematic as well, though, because – it's still upholding like the capitalistic approaches of like sure. maybe doing things to the books and making sure that they do get, you know, minimum wage or whatever they mm. can get away with and like people just become so complacent in those positions of power and they don't actually really use their power for so much more. And I think when we talk about go boss feminism, the point of it is white women need to take a step back. We need to give away our privileges and drop them.
0: how do you see that happening though from that standpoint because i when i um heard about that i just heard it i think in a podcast episode where they're explaining it to me of how like it could look and i sometimes struggle to see like how people can how people can sort of i guess step
3: back so, the way I see it is that under our system, mm. there's always going to be this cutthroat. There's always going to mm. be this um, profit making. So, there's not enough room in our society at this stage for a white woman to get into power and then be able to uplift enough women yes. for the world to be uplifted. Because yeah. the power structure depends we don't, on oppression. We don't mm. make our clothes here. So, how are you, as a CEO of a company, going to enforce? Mm. Um, uh, these legislations overseas in the garment factories, where the conditions are terrible, where you have um, no control over that, it's by not, it's by ensuring that you actually aren't a part of that system that exploits so many workers. And it's a, bi- it's a long line. And I think by doing the stuff that you're talking about is today's issue and and it should still be happening it's definitely not like you can either be one or the other but I think we have to look outside of that and look outside of the systems that are in place completely
1: Mm, like
3: not with this like you need all of these different brands to make the same thing or you need an eco brand making eco stuff but it's producing more waste and Mm. things like that where just because it looks good from the outside, and that's what girl boss is. It looks good from the outside because these women are in power, but there's only enough room for white women, and there's only enough room for, for those CEO. white women <laughs> for those white women to then exploit yeah. marginalized communities. Because in the system that we live in, with capitalism, with white supremacy, under the patriarchy, there is not enough room or the system isn't set up to include them ever. Yeah. And even if you're going to do one company that creates these things, how many companies do we have in the world? Mm. I'm pretty sure it's like yeah, a fuckload. Like, so it's just hard when it comes down to that those types of things.
1: Mm. I so do, yeah. I it's yeah. an I do interesting discourse
3: and I think it's a discourse that nobody knows the right answer on and nobody yeah. knows. We but don't I not know think anything outside of it. Yeah, exactly. like a very we limited idea of what
1: we have outside of a capitalist structure and i know it can be really hard to kind of envision a world without these really rigid and really just so huge it just seems so big like the problem mm-hmm. because it is. it is so consuming of our lives yeah. like everything is consumed by capitalism and it's really hard to kind of and it's also like we all partake and we all indulge with capitalism as well because we have been it's just how we've been brought up and we've grown up with it so we all subscribe to it to a certain extent
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and with what you were saying before, Sass, as well, like, I think that it can be a bit dangerous if a white woman is just like deciding to be this amazing person where she's not going to be exploiting her workers and paying more and like making sure that she's funding a black woman because it kind of comes off as like white savior tokenistic in certain ways under capitalism because she, like, I don't really know. I'm just kind of like forming an idea about it hmm. but i just don't think that like yeah, no. under is what yeah. all about is forming ideas yeah. and, on, and because on of outside. white supremacy racism is always going to permeate capitalism and workplaces and our yeah. society and culture and i think that just because like i know that it's amazing if white women can start doing that but not all white women are anti-racist not or like aware of racism or aware of their stereotypes and microaggressions so it's like There's just so much more work to do before that. There's so many fucking structures we need to shut down before that's
1: like even possible. Yeah.
0: I still sort of just come back to that sort of question of if you, so for example, you're saying then that white women who do get into positions of power or are offered positions of power, if they don't take that position, what does that? mean like i just just don't think that's the right
3: i don't think that's the discourse that we're discussing in a way
0: because no back to say for example like say a small business woman is we're just not really looking at at that type of thing
3: we're looking at like fast
2: fashion and nasty girl is like a worldwide huge corporation so instead of like becoming a ceo and stuff like investing in indigenous made brands and like things that yeah, okay, are like produced and created by marginalized yep. groups. Yeah. So, so I like totally get where you're like coming just, from. Yeah, because
0: I think yeah, there's obviously different types of corporations and yeah. businesses and yeah, things like that. Yeah, Sure, and I understand. But yeah, in the first and I fashion think like industry that's what just you're obviously
3: talking about definitely. Like smaller businesses mm. that are run mm. this should this should smaller. Be the bare because minimum. that's how they're <laughs> yeah. that's how they're getting by in this society that we live in now. And I think it's so good when women can go out and create these Fast fashion, or not? no, that was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) When they can go out and just create a small little business so they can uh, live live within society and and have money and things like that. But it comes back to we should also be uplifting indigenous groups within that and a lot of others but yeah uh, over a white man you know
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, no no, that makes a lot more sense I think I've thought about it more in a broad sense Mm. overall Mm. but yeah definitely it's just kind of I see it as the pyramid like it's all still under
2: like white male supremacy Mm. so it just is so hard to like understand and uh, like see how it can be liberating for anyone under it Mm. because at the end of the day white women are still being oppressed in patriarchy as well like it's still all oppressive systems
1: saying all of that (laughs) (laughs) there is still a huge portion of women who love to coin the girl boss term and love to subscribe to that term as well mainly influencers in the beauty and fashion sectors Mm -hmm. love to coin that term and Mm -hmm. it's used a lot for personal branding as well and we'll go in a bit more with identity politics and everything a little bit later in the episode um another thing that kind of is a bit positive about girl feminism probably one of probably one of the only things is that it kind of adheres to the femininity that is often seen as frivolous by patriarchy so it kind of was Sold as this idea of women taking back that power and taking back that infantilization that has been put onto them by the patriarchy. I.
2: That's interesting but at the same time like femininity is a construct made yeah it's reinforcing you know, gender so it's like roles so like for it's sure. still reinforcing yeah. That gender Yeah and binary. like femininity once again excludes a lot of marginalized groups within it that are women because femininity is like
1: this white idea For sure so no, it's no, 100% a, yeah. but that's just like I was also so just saying that's just the reasoning that a lot of this girl boss feminism is kind of seen to a general consensus of other white women as a positive thing because yeah. it's reclaiming those terms but unfortunately that's kind of where it ends with girl boss feminism in regards to (laughs) (laughs) women's rights. i guess Mm. if you could even call it that yeah especially
0: (laughs) even um the fact that a lot of it is actually just exploited by capitalism anyway because Mm. you know it's just these shirts made in target or the w and it just says i'm a feminist or girl or or whatever yeah and where are those systems
1: Who's making the shirts? Exactly, who yeah. the fuck is making them? Yeah. Where are they getting made? And yeah. then how much are they getting paid? Exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Is it a feminist shirt if the garment
1: worker got paid 60 cents to make it and the company's profiting bucks. off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. It's not feminist at all.
1: So to end on just like the nasty girl stuff in the beginning, I guess, of the girl boss term, um, there was an... El- Article made by The Atlantic that was published, I think, a couple of years ago, and it was titled The Girl Boss Has Left the Building. And this is just a quote that I found from it that I found really interesting and kind of summed up this whole concept really well. So, the reality of girl bossing, however, was always a little bit messier. Amoruso's career at Nasty Gal was dogged by constant turnover, accusations of discrimination and abusive management, and the company's eventual bankruptcy. The company denied the allegations when they were made. Over time, accusations of sinister labour practices among prominent businesswomen who fit the girl boss template became more common. The confident, hard working, camera ready young woman of a publicist's dreams apparently had an evil twin, a woman pedigreed and usually white who was not only as accomplished as her male counterparts, but just as cruel and demanding too. this segment and kind of show how these things like boss feminism and white feminism and liberal feminism contradicts intersectional feminism and that's kind of where we need to be moving towards
0: and they kind of uh, divert away from the actual issues at hand yeah for sure
1: and there are a lot of women who don't agree with intersectional feminism as well for certain reasons and they have like people like Ruby Hamad, actually, that we quote a lot and we have included in a lot of our research. She says that we need something else beyond intersectional feminism. So it's good to keep in mind that when we talk about these approaches that there are so many different Mm. types. And and they're always evolving. And they're always evolving. And our feminism should always be evolving. Like I'm not the same feminist that I was when I was 15 years old or when I was 16 years old or Mm. literally a year ago or a few months ago. Like we're constantly learning things. And that's kind of the point of feminism, I think, to be evolving. And... Just keep learning, really. Mm, that could be For a sure. book title. I'm not the feminist I was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> or tomorrow. <laughs> oh well, on the
2: back of that, actually, I have a really amazing excerpt from a Time article by Mickey Kendall, who also wrote Hood Feminism, and I highly recommend you read that book because I learned so fucking Great much. intersectional feminist mm. resource. Yep. So she quotes. I am talking about feminist issues, though you may not recognise them as such. We hear about career advancement and dating while feminist and body hair and last names, but rarely does mainstream feminism centre the conversation on issues that concern most women in this country, being America. Can they afford food? Do they have access to health care? Are they safe in their homes? Do they have homes at all? Can they meet all of their basic needs? Overwhelmingly, the answer to that last question is no. For a movement that is meant to represent all women, feminism frequently focuses on those who already have most of their needs met. All too often, it's not about survival, but about increasing privilege. Mm -hmm. Far too often, the few women who get to the top of the patriarchal heap have used feminism to get where they wanted to go, yet don't seem aware that the political strength associated with feminism can be used for more issues than those that matter to them. They have chosen to take a seat at the table instead of trying to build new ones. Feminism has to serve the interests of all those it relies on to sustain it or at risk becoming a movement with no purpose for most and an outright weapon against those it claims to represent.
3: Wow. wow yeah. awesome Good quote. fucking quote. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So that sort of reminds me of something that I learned recently about and it's about how we need to move away from like an identity politics and into a mm. solidarity politics, which is pretty much I guess what intersectional intersectionality is. But um yeah. So so intersectionality is an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege. And an example of that was you could be a uh, um, you could be a man, and that gives you um, privilege. But then also you might be from a lower class and so you um, face class discrimination or you might be a black man and so you have um you can face okay. oppression from and the of discrimination. discrimination from um, white supremacy and so i think um so when we talk about sort of like a timeline of feminism So I think there was a time during the 1970s where there's these black feminist scholars and activists and a number of them were from the LGBTQ plus community. They developed a theoretical framework to serve as a model for other women of colour to broaden feminism's definition and scope and a bit of what Samara was just saying in that quote about the fact that it's not just about these issues that affect white women, it's about all these issues that affect all these other people and we need to not care so much about Th- it's moving in solidarity with one another. So, issues such as food security is a feminist issue, and it might not just affect you and your identity as a white woman to not have food security or be affected by gun violence or female genital mutilation mm. in a different country. It's about seeing that and moving with solidarity with one another for, yeah. fight for those issues.
3: Definitely. That's really sure. good. Because you really it's like, that up well. yeah, because it's like we have food and we don't have uh like such in like food insecurity um Mm. but there's other parts of the world or there's other people actually our next door neighbors could feel this and we don't for sure. See that, or we don't push for that because we've got it. Mm. So then you go and push something for yourself that's beyond that. But we haven't actually secured that for everyone,
0: mm. and which is really important. And, and once we have secured that for everyone, that is the ultimate goal. Yeah. yeah. These are all
1: feminist issues. Like, this is something we want to reiterate as well as like gun violence is a feminist issue. Like, male prison incarceration rates, they are feminist issues. Mm-hmm. Like, all of these things will always intersect with feminism to a certain extent. And like, that is kind of the lens I feel, like we need to be looking at feminism through is these intersectionalities
2: with the idea of what a woman is it's not just a white woman there is there's so many women in this mm. world and they face so many different barriers f- put in place because of the social structures above us Mm. and therefore it doesn't matter that just because we are liberated in Australia as white people you know Mm. we've got a lot of rights we feel safe in our community and things like that but that does not mean that we should not be pioneering and fighting and take and listening to people that actually have a voice for reason and a voice for change and want more for the world because Mm. I understand that my voice is important to be used but it's not as important as all of the other women that have spent so much more of their time and their energy and have faced so much more oppression in this world and they deserve to be listened to and supported
1: and true feminism is collective voice like Mm -hmm. it's not just one individual leading the cause and this is like a problem that we've actually seen in our like in the past 12 months with so many like "Quote unquote feminists within um, like social media and stuff, and seeing how like not one person can't be uh, one person cannot be the leader of this movement or the face of this movement because there is always going to be flaws within people's feminism depending on their intersect intersectionalities and their experiences as well. Even um Florence Given and who's uh, the author of who's the author don't. of Women Don't Owe You Pretty, which is a book that <laughs> was published. I think it was published last, last year or the year before not too sure um but yeah she completely plagiarized chidera igure i believe is how i pronounce her name um book was published a couple of years earlier read it yeah read it it's It's a a good book. book Hey, Ruby jumping in, um, we got a few of the details wrong in this segment as we were going purely off memory. We didn't have any notes and this wasn't planned that we were going to talk about it. But um, Florence Given published her book, Women Don't Know You Pretty, in June 2020. And Chidera Igure published What a Time to Be Alone in July 2018 and How to Get Over a Boy in February of 2020. So both of Chidera's books were published before Florence's book in 2000. Twenty, and we will be linking chadera's instagram the slum flower in the show notes if you wanted to go over and follow her and it came out kind of and Chidera spoke out last year on her instagram at the slum flower talking about how florence had pretty much plagiarized her whole book and they were friends and they'd had conversations and um Chidera was able to provide screenshots and evidence showing that they'd communicated about it and that florence was aware that Chidera felt uncomfortable about the really big similarities between their books and florence just went away and published it anyways she kind of stepped back from her position in the Limelight, Social, I guess, yeah. um, for a little bit. But now she's just back up posting her videos, posting her TikToks, posting her feminist material, mm. saying to support black women when it's so obvious that she has plagiarized from a black yep. woman. And, mm. that and she's th- made capital off it as well. Yeah, she's Definitely. made capital off of it too. And yeah. <coughs>
2: and Slumflower still actively posts every single fucking day things Talking and information it, yeah. and she's trying to talk about it and amplify her voice and give her truth out there and people have just been shutting her
0: down sure. over the past and year and even other black women as well yeah There's some um, yeah for sure big huge name black activists who have st- um, stood with uh, Florence during this time and you can see that they had capital to lose themselves um, from brand deals, all Mm. of those kind of things. And so they didn't actually do the right thing and Mm. call it out for what it is. Like All that needed to happen in a situation was everyone to recognise for what it was and that never Mm, happened, Mm. having
1: these people not stand up and... Um, fight collectively with yeah. the sunflower So if you have women don't own you pretty, chuck it in the fucking bin. Yeah, go honestly. online and order What a Time to Be Alone and How to Get Over a Boy. It's yeah. there's two books. So go and order those. Mm. And great follow ratings. her and
2: yeah. keep and up to date with Support it. her because she's actually faced a lot of shit and discrimination in the past year because of this. And it really upsets me when I see people following yeah. Florence still and like like in she, her book she talks so much about how we need to liberate black women and we need yeah. to amplify their voices and stuff like we read the and book. how to take and how to take
1: criticism and how to yeah. be an ally and, and how to say you were wrong and like
2: she did none <laughs> it's just of that
0: critical yeah and yeah. it's really reeks problematic of
3: feminism and yeah. it reeks of girlboss feminism it's just another way of doing it you're yeah. actually selling these black women's work creating a profit of it and pretending to even be an ally when mm. you're actively putting another black woman's voice down yep. if yeah. you get called
2: out and then you're not actually doing what you say that you've been doing the whole time and in trying to feminism, influence other people to do mm. as well you're not a feminist because of money happened. because of a book deal florence yeah, still
1: happened. got her paychecks florence still got her Multiple publishings and mm. multiple editions of her books. She's gotten them published in all different languages. Like nothing happened to Florence. She just had a social media um, hiatus. Hiatus mm. for a few months. Just yeah, while the she steam got to log off. Everyone just
0: went back to it. Whereas and black women don't get to log off from yeah, the no, oppression they face. Exactly. Every day. So so a huge, big, important move Florence could have made was a structural I, change. Structural yeah. change yeah. was to say for her I'm to stand not with Chidera and yeah. say, yeah. actually, this no, fucked.
1: this is fucked. Like um, I was wrong, and like I've done this, and like I, and yeah. work together with her like that would have been have a really been a awesome moment. opportunity that would have been awesome. like it was such an that, opportunity right in front of her and yeah. she didn't take it and because so
3: she didn't need to because she still had her money she, she still had to got wide yeah. Yeah. she got white privilege she got pretty privilege. by doing that because mm-hmm. sometimes a lot of the liberal feminists and mainstream feminists don't want to give up the privilege they have to ensure that other people have privilege mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in ways of things you're going to have to give up privilege to ensure everyone sure. does but yeah. it's not mm-hmm. privileges like food and shelter its privileges of extra money or the savings or that new fancy car or that new fancy outfit those are things that you may have to give up by helping out um, the marginalized communities that people say they want
0: to Mm. sure it was just such a good example of something right that you could do. Yeah. And uh, she just fucked it up. <laughs> fucked it up. Fuck Florence proved It just proved all <laughs> of their the points. Honestly, <laughs> fuck her because she
2: proved everyone right. Yeah. Like she, like I, when I read the book, I was like, this is awesome. Like she really is like forward thinking in the way. But like at the end of the day, all of the information that she has gotten is not hers
0: but yeah, if you're still confused, I guess about like what intersectionality is. Samara and I both watched this. It was called the Brazen Hossies. Back, it was just this documentary, and it was a lot about Australian, um, the history of Australian feminism, and it really, it was really interesting because. These white um, feminists were um, fighting for, you know, really important issues, just all of these laws that were fucked towards women. And then they tried to get all of these indigenous activists on board, especially women. They were like, we can liberate you from male privilege like join us i mean sorry male oppression and these indigenous women were like we are still our black men are still our allies and they're these people we have to we share an oppression with them with white supremacy and i think that's really interesting and it is um so i guess like the way you can sort of explain it is the fact that White women are affected by like misogyny and sexism under patriarchy and stuff and a lot of violence, and especially within the home, and that's probably the number one example you can give. And black men are affected by violence, but mainly in public, so by the police and other institutions. But then black women, they face both of these oppressions. Sure.
3: <clears throat> Definitely.
2: Yeah, I have a awesome um, scholarly journal article by dig- an Indigenous woman, who also is an educator and a professor. And she writes, I quote, "'Historically, Aboriginal women in Australia "'have generally found little comfort or support "'from non-Indigenous women who historically have been involved "'in the marginalisation of Aboriginal women "'and in the denial of their human, civil, political, "'legal and sexual rights.'" Furthermore, non-Indigenous women have been participants in the removal and dispossession of Indigenous women from the traditional lands on which their relationships could be maintained and their responsibilities carried out. Being part of the colonisation process has also meant that non-Indigenous women have benefited, profited from the past and continued marginalisation and oppression of Indigenous women. This also explains why, despite the growing struggle for women's rights and the momentum of the women's movement in Australia, the societal and economic positioning of Indigenous women has remained stagnant for many years and continues to be an everyday struggle within feminism. Mm
3: -hmm. That's awesome. It's awesome hearing a quote um, uh, related to Australia in that way as well because a lot of our... Um, scholars that we read are from America, America. Mm-hmm. and you do see the similarity of the intersectionalities between the indigenous communities in America and also the black people in America and then when you it's all build on colonization here, yeah mm. so much of it comes down to that colonization Yeah, for sure
0: and it's really interesting when I watch this documentary they actually have this historical footage of these two groups talking and you can just see there's just these white feminists, they they get it, but then they're also just so far away from really understanding mm-hmm. that intersection of race and gender. I think it, it's just so problematic because
2: racism is such a strong, powerful force in our society and it's used as a tool, as a method of violence, as a way to just... To fucking, alienate. Yeah, to alienate, to get more privileges. And white women
1: have not realised that just because... It's like feminism and capitalism has, like, allowed, and especially in this, like, post-modern world (laughs) where we can now see, like, the divide growing heaps between different types of women. And it's almost like this capitalist, like, has just controlled this and created it to become so much bigger as well than what... I don't even know where I was going with that. I really lost my
3: Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's as if, like... Capitalism is continuing to perpetuate the uh, racism that yeah well well due to colonization the I don't know yeah no, no, so it's like explain, but the, I totally get it's you it's like
1: capitalism has like taken this new form of feminism that women are so grasped onto as well and like the everyday woman like I feel like and or like I don't know what you would like what the, what is the everyday woman at all like exactly. we can't yeah. even classify that but I guess like the average white Australian cis woman walking down the street. would identify with feminism and would probably be okay to say so like in their in Mm. this context as well. And I feel like part of that is because capitalism and this structure that we're living under has sold it so much to us Mm -hmm. and sold it so much to the everyday woman of just like, you know, feminism, rah, 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 like, and it's just such a throwaway term these days as well. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just feel yeah. like, so they can commodify it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's I've completely commodified and sold back to us in a completely different way from what it was originally meant to be. and yeah. Meant to do.
2: Yeah. From an article from the conversation um, named for indigenous women, the me too movement is a deeper fight against racism, power and oppression. Um, it says that feminism is incompatible with capitalism because, earning a lot of money won't eradicate these equalities. Mm -hmm. It will exacerbate them as people around the world will continue to live in incredible impoverishment and harsh conditions. So when we do talk about feminism, capitalism can't be part of it, like at Mm -hmm. all. Like it it of course is because it's there, but it can't be part of it in the way where we practice it and live through it and learn from it. And it can't be the ideal way
3: of going when we think about like what to do next or what's gonna happen next. It can't be within that framework.
1: Mm exactly. While we say that you shouldn't be subscribing to this capitalism and how capitalism is the root of all of this shit feminism, it is also a, posi- p- a position of privilege to opt out of these, I guess, like, mm. quote-unquote, huge capitalist machines like Nasty Gal and fast, fast fashion brands, even when we were talking about, like, Kmart making those boss feminism teas and all of those things. I think that there are obviously always going to be people that cannot defy that capitalist structure, like it sometimes is the only option for people to be able to afford clothing that to be able to get clothing that they can afford or clothing that even fits them as well and it's important that we're not going around calling out people saying oh you know like I think that's also one of the biggest problems with like the vegan movement as well mm. if we make a comparison <laughs> even is
3: like that, the van life movement and the living yeah. off grid movement it's all pretty oh like gosh. from positions of
1: power yeah and privilege like yeah. positions of privilege to be able to go around and say oh I'm not gonna subscribe to this or I'm not gonna buy from these brands or I'm gonna eat these foods it's because you can afford to and you have the luxury and the privilege too and the world that you've lived in that you've grown up in has provided that space for you to exist in that way yeah
0: yeah but I think people definitely should be doing that as best as they can if they do have the privilege and I think a lot of people with privilege still opt out of you know cutting down their meat intake and all of that kind of stuff just because they just don't give a fuck and I think that people who do have the privilege definitely should be Mm, doing those things Yeah.
2: yeah even just like donating old clothes and like buying from op shops and like
1: but even then again with that like op shops like that's it's rare that i'll be able to find something in an op shop that fits me perfectly so 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 like it always comes back to that so like if you're a poor fat person where do you go to buy your clothes Mm. you go to like Kmart because you can buy a pair of pants for six dollars like which is way more accessible and way more affordable than going Mm. to David and Jones. It sure. <laughs> comes
3: back down to it's not that individual problem. It's a exactly. it's a large um large scale system problem mm. where systematic. they're not, systematic, where mm. they're not creating these intersectionalities for no, they're not creating these things for the intersectionalities that we live amongst. Yeah. And it's so, just yeah, another well, way to exclude
1: people yeah. for sure.
0: But a good example as well is even just if you are passionate environmentalist and you shouldn't be hating on people. Um, I think there's like a big problem on Facebook groups and stuff, hating on people with disabilities for buying packaged vegetables. And the reason that we do have packaged vegetables is for people with disabilities. So it's easy, more easily accessible for them to get them. Mm. And I guess it's easy for me to go into a shopping centre and not get the um, plastic things but i'm sure a lot of people who don't have disabilities still buy into that and mm-hmm. i think it's easier to like have that consciousness about it if you know about it to make that active choice to be like okay i'm going to do something better for the environment by doing that but i'm not going to go and hate on people in disability group chats for saying you should just try harder anyway and rah 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 you should oh, still yeah. not be doing it because do of yeah, yeah i've seen it problem. so much
3: in the vegan discourse groups oh, that i mean yeah. you serious Actually, yeah, yeah. The, the thing about no. it is like
2: the plastic has already been produced like it's already in the final like stage of selling and like definitely. buying and the
3: problem with like um plastic and all that is the over not the overconsumption, is the overcreation yeah. of it. And yeah and we're chucking so much of this out and yeah definitely agree with like don't buy it if you don't have to but yeah. do not go hating on people because exactly they and have to like we still I
2: mean, live in an ableist society yeah, regardless so sure. there should be more inclusion and comp-
1: because it's a feminist issue once again sure Another um, example of ableism that recently happened was the Victoria Victoria's. Se- oh no, yeah, what? was it? it was Australian Fashion Week. A yeah. few, it waiting, would. It's Victoria's actually Week. probably a month ago now. Yeah. I think was yeah. the Fashion Week, and there was two um, shows that incorporated models who uh, have to use wheelchairs as well. And it was PE Nation and Camilla, the two brands that, um, and both of them, I think, actually funded and created by women as well white women um and yeah the uh, runway was just completely inaccessible for someone in a wheelchair to be able to completely get through it was just covered in like streamers and like all of this random shit and there's videos of like people having to step in and like kind of like push the model in the wheelchair along and it's like why are you including this like tokenistic diversity mm. within your show if you're not actually it just goes to show that there was no one no one who um was, was thought able about it. on <laughs> the panel or on the creation or on yeah. the behind the behind voice. the scenes like there was no one there that put, was able to quickly point out and be like that's not going to work yeah like it just goes to show that no one was there on that decision making team which means they actually don't have any diversity because it's just Performative because they're just doing it because it's on a runway. They're not having any time
0: in a lot of those diversity like, like all brands kind of do it now, especially localised around here on the Gold Coast. They will do all of these, you know, diversity shoots, especially Mm. with like women of colour and Mm. stuff. But you know you really question how many women of yeah. color are actually how on the are they getting polls? paid yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah i think a big
2: thing for um non-indigenous australians to do and when we're talking about like feminism as well is to learn about the culture and learn about the history yeah. and learn about the truth of what has actually happened on this land and the colonial constructs that have come after it and um when we talk about this stuff as well it means that we need to talk about politics in our mm. conversations because the government fucking runs our country and they make a lot of our like decisions for us and so it's so easy for us to say oh I'm not interested like I'm not gonna care like I don't care who I vote for but it actually really matters like a lot Mm. with who we vote for and what we learn and how we can actually see the problems that the like the the Liberal National Party is doing Mm. and the things that they are doing in the past couple of years and specifically in the past six months has just been fucked and it's not getting better it's just kind of like Having that discourse
3: around it and ensuring that every day like in your life you're uplifting indigenous voices within Australia and you're also implementing some practices that they do and like making sure that um, I don't know just everything that you do you're like not questioning, but you're always just thinking about it from a different no, perspective. No, for sure. Question yeah, it. like
1: I agree completely with that. Like, even when we look at our Instagram feeds, like, and you're being sold a certain product or there's some sort of campaign or some sort of like endorsement, and just like sit back and think, like, what is this trying to sell me right now? Like, mm. what am I trying? What are they trying to sell me? What are they trying to teach me? What ideology do they want me to subscribe to with this? Mm. And like, actually think a little bit deeper into what these sing- symbols and what these messages and what these images and what these brands, and content creators are putting out there and, like, is this actually a positive thing or is it contributing to this capitalist, Mm. patriarchal, white supremacist structure?
2: Yeah. And if you're a white woman like myself, I think that it's just, like, such a big responsibility to read books (laughs) that are by black women and women of colour because their voices are so impactful and insightful and they have so much fucking knowledge and I learn so much from it and I think that... um, As a white person, like, it's so important that we are aware of white supremacy and actually aware of our microaggressions and people that are around us that are racist and things that are incorrect or myths or just, like, wrong. Because Mm. race is a social construct, just as the gender binary is, just as patriarchy is, but it's so real and with feminism as white people, I think it's so important to make sure that we don't align with white feminism and girl boss feminism. So by doing so, it's not. It's easy. oppressing people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's just something we want to avoid, obviously, at all costs. Mm. For sure.
3: And there's so much discourse from um, black and indigenous women out there, and we don't have to keep asking them to help us out yeah. they've they've done their work that we to now teach us yeah stop asking them to teach us because mm. so many women have already created books buy it mm. that's yeah. that's helping them yeah. like how like you need to be actively thinking about how to help them without constantly and trying to whatever, get them to help us
1: whatever question you have the answer is out there you're don't just, Google you're for just sure. not looking hard enough yep, or you're yep. not engaging with the right resources yeah and discussing yeah. it yeah because i Sorry, you go no. Get you. I
2: have like a list right in front of me of statistics and li- like facts about you know infant mortality rates, indigenous car- incarceration, deaths in custody, homelessness in Australia. Like these are all fucking so easy to find online like i can find all the numbers here i'm looking straight at it and it's so sad to see because it's so real yeah. and when you do see it in right in front of you like for example one in six indigenous australian males are currently imprisoned mm. that's, that's fucked. not okay yeah, yeah. And, and just by <laughs>
3: seeing that and, and finding that out it, it gives you more like I don't know, like of a view of the world that we're living in it. And Mm -hmm. it helps you to then go on and do something about it. If you're not looking at this discourse, you're not gonna think about it in your everyday life. And that's just
1: privileged. It's mm, privileged yeah. as fuck. Even yeah. if we look at the anti-vax rhetoric that's mm. been going on mm. and anti-masks <sighs> and anti-COVID and anti-government restrictions, like it's a very complicated and heated issue. But at the end of the day, if you are choosing to not get vaccinated, that is a fucking privilege. Mm. And like that is, you should be the, other that people. should be the starting point of your thoughts and your opinions and your, you know, evaluation for yourself on that stuff.
2: Yeah. These are the sorts of things that are super important for us to talk about. And like with the anti-vax rhetoric, I don't know why you're fucking wasting so much time time trying to find false information and talking about it as though like your human rights are being taken away Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense to me because science is science yeah and it's been researched Thoroughly,
0: yeah, and you can bring politics and government. Like mm. we fucking hate we the government. Yeah, we fucking like, hate them. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. No. But like, you have to dissociate the government sometimes yeah. from these conversations about science because the government isn't there a is no, There is like there has been so much problems with racism in especially medicine mm. and the medical field throughout history, and you can easily ac- access that and learn about that. But the thing is, at the end of the day, like science is science like mm-hmm. it is peer-reviewed yeah. it is there is such a level of standard that it has to go through exactly. to be able to be approved and it's also constantly evolving and learning as well mm-hmm. and so when you see these stats about blood clots in the astrazeneca fucking vaccine and blah, blah blah like they're constantly adding to that if they wanted to kill you if they wanted to do something to you, <laughs> to <follow> you they <laughs> they would they'd, they'd be like fuck yeah it's giving people blood clots let's jump on that yeah. let's yeah. give them more of that like yeah it's always yeah. there and it's accessible to learn
2: about it it's you just, just have care workers as well and like frontliners because all these people are sure. like please get
0: the fucking vaccine like so we mm. can actually work with you yeah. and, mm. and the thing is that you might find there's like a lot of uh, there's a, a minuscule amount of doctors and healthcare workers that will come out with videos on facebook or TikTok. somewhere else and being like oh like i rah 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 don't get the vaccine because of this but you just have to look at what do the majority of scientists say what do the majority of healthcare workers think about this and that is what you believe and And how
3: much vaccines have helped throughout the years as Mm -hmm. well you have to look back at that history um and there's so so many infographics and uh, information out there like articles about how vaccines have helped um ensure that
2: we've gotten here Mm -hmm. and the death rate for covid is pretty bad when you compare it to the active cases or the COVID cases that have occurred. And one death is still fucking wrong and problematic. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's so troubling when people are anti-vax because just because it's not in front of us in our privileged little Gold Coast, northern New South Wales bubble, like, doesn't mean that it's not happening and that the rest of the world is suffering. And they really are as well. (laughs) Like, just get the vaccine and move on with your life. You see how quickly COVID spreads as well Mm. with the Sydney outbreak now happening. Like, if... Australia had
3: fastened, like, with their uh, vaccinations and they'd vaccinated the population like they should have, like other countries, um, we wouldn't be seeing these outbreaks and there wouldn't be lockdowns and people wouldn't be losing their jobs. And it's Mm, marginalised communities that are affected by this because they are the frontline workers. Mm. They are the ones working these retail jobs that have to remain open. These are the
1: ones that can't work from home. They can't go to the sanctity of their home office on their fucking computer and Mm. work there. Like, it's not real life for so many people. These...
0: A lot of the people spreading a lot of anti-vax rhetoric at the moment are life and well-being coaches, <laughs> mainly white women. And the thing is, is they're trying to sell you shit. Yeah. Like they yeah. want you to buy into their capital. It's a perfect example of
1: white women going against what's good for the greater community and for marginalised communities. Like, these white women are out there spreading all of this misinformation about vaccines and masks and everything, and that's enabling other fucking white people to adopt this like ideology and adopt these beliefs like mm. it's fucking dangerous and this is like an example and they're making of making money off these. yeah they're yeah. making money off it it's yeah. literally yeah. goes back
0: into the girl Boss feminism and stuff because mm. they think that their um their Work. rights are being taken away from mm. them when realistically like they're literally oppressing other people like there's been so many deaths and people who just don't have access to vaccines because of living in um a low-income country yeah yeah even 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 back into yeah but even just talking about more feminist issues is there's we've spoken about it before about you know gun rights gun violence being a feminist issue uh food security all of those things but even climate change and i think because of covid the sort of climate change activism has died down a lot and Mm. whereas it was on fire before and everyone was really into it and learning a lot about it and being really passionate about it. And I think that's really died down in the past year and a half. Yeah. Sure. But that is—it's really important to care about that because it is a huge feminist issue in Africa. Women make up seventy percent of the farmers there, and uh, with and they're reaping the co- consequences mm-hmm. of climate change right mm-hmm. now. There's been such a huge increase in droughts and floods, and that affects them purely, like directly. And it's happening yeah. now. Even though Africa, all the African countries are the lowest and um. Uh, CO2 emitters in the mm. world, they are still they're the ones filling the wrath. W- which is it's just awful, it's, and it's just just so horrible if you look into the statistics and just even the personal cases of what these women are going through, having to walk longer distances to um, collect water, which takes time out of their If you want to talk about the gender pay gap, that's a huge one. Mm -hmm. They have to walk so much further to go collect water and are being paid the most minuscule amount because of just working on these farms. Mm -hmm. And so men usually will go away overseas to work to make money or whatever or even just leave. And so women have to do all of this unpaid work and all of this, um extra actual work as well but being paid less and they're not don't have the same access to being um politicians and stuff they're held back from that for the, all the political decision making mm. and then even just the violence they take collecting the water and so they have to walk because they have to walk further they end up being faced uh, all this violence is perpetrated yeah. against them as mm. well more as sexual violence,
1: violence for sure which
0: is really sad so think about climate change too feminist yeah. issue yeah for sure Thank you
1: for yeah, listening you so to this much,
0: episode if you got this far. Yeah, we really
2: hope you enjoyed this one. We've definitely enjoyed talking yeah. amongst each other. <laughs> it's been Send fun. Send us some
1: ideas or episode topics if you have anything you'd like to hear us talk
0: about. Or if you want us to go into detail more so about something we've spoken about today. Yeah, we love hearing from you guys. Episode. Even
2: just a chat. Definitely. <laughs> All right,
0: well, right. have a great week. We'll see you
2: next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>
3: Thank you for listening to this episode of Revolting Women. We hope you were able to learn at least one new thing from us today. Please subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts
2: and leave us a review as it helps more people find us. You can follow us on Instagram at revolting women Podcast, or click the link in our show notes. You will be able to find the sources we referred to in this episode today. If you have any feedback, questions, episode topics, want to open up a discussion or come onto the podcast, we would love to hear from you.
3: We would like to take this moment to also state that we are not the creators nor pioneers of this information, and our aim is to build upon the pre-existing teachings that have informed us. We say thank you to the Black and Indigenous women of colour, LGBTQIA communities, activists and trailblazing
2: feminists that have fought So we and Thrive. If this episode has brought up any triggering feelings, please know that our DMs are open to you. You can contact mental health services such as Headspace, which is a free Australian youth-based service at 1800 650 890 or Lifeline at 131 114. Remove the stigma and reach out. See you next episode!
0: What's wrong with that?